So Joshua chapter 19. And so Israel's gotten to the point where God has given them victory. They are looking at the land. In chapter 18, they had kind of separated the land to the east. And they're looking at surveying the land to the west. So then they cast lots, which is kind of interesting. Somehow God's hand is in that. God wanted to select which people got which piece of land. And so they cast lots and they're working through it. And in chapter 19, we've seen Simeon, which Simeon was kind of separated into Judah's territory. And we see that from the curse that they were given in Genesis. And then we get to Zebulun. And we kind of talked about Zebulun, but Tommy wanted us to read it because he just kind of skimmed through it. Of course he did, right? Um, Let's skim through it. Let's get the overview now. Let's make sure you read it. So verse 10 of chapter 19. The third lot came out for the children of Zebulun according to their families, and the border of their inheritance was as far as Sarid. Their border went west to Marlah and went to Dabasheth and extended along the brook that is on the east of Jochnim. They went from Sarid and it went eastward toward the sunrise along the border Chishlah-Tabor and went toward Dabarath, bypassing Japhia. And from there it passed along the east side of Gath-Hefer toward Eth-Kazim and extended to Rimmon, which borders on Nia. Then the border went around on the north side of the valley of Hanathon, and it ended in the valley of Japheth-El. Included were Kadath, Nahalal, Shimron, Idala, and Bethlehem, twelve cities and their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Zebulun, according to their families, these cities with their villages. So we kind of went through that Wednesday. Is there anything else you saw in that that you would like to mention? Otherwise, we're going to... The only town I remember is Bethlehem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and we see Bethlehem in a couple of the cities, a couple of the nations, because there's a Bethlehem in the land of Zebulun, which we're talking about, which is kind of to the north. And then we have some cities in Bethlehem that we more recognize as being around Jerusalem. There's a Bethlehem down here. And the city of Judah, which is the Bethlehem we are a little more familiar with. Um, which it goes to one of Tommy's points. Um, I think I said that correctly, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, to one of Tommy's points, it's difficult because you're reading through and you get a Bethlehem here and a Bethlehem there and, a, and other cities that were mentioned multiple times and it's difficult. Okay, wh- 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 which one is that? Is that the one we know? Um, and maybe that's why if you read the prophets, it's called Bethlehem Ephrath. It's describing which Bethlehem it is as kind of a... Um, because there were multiple Bethlehems that... Um, the prophet would come out of. There were multiple Bethlehems the prophet could have come out of. So in the prophecy, they're establishing it as this Bethlehem. Um, so yeah, land of Zebulun. Any thoughts or comments? Okay. Then we get to the land of Issachar. Verse 17. The fourth lot came out to Issachar for the children of Issachar according to their families. And their territory went to Jezreel and included Sheshaloth, Shunem, 
Haphraim, Shion, Anathara, Rabbath, Kishion, Abez, Remeth, Elganan, Elhada, Beth Pezez, and the border reached to Tabor, Shazimah, and Beth Shemesh. Their border extended at the Jordan, 17 cities with their villages. And this was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Issachar, according to the families and their villages. And how many cities did you have in verse 22? In verse 22, mine says 16 cities with their villages. Okay. Did I? Did, sorry. It's possible I did say 17, but it says 16. Thank you for, thank you for, thank you for checking. 16 cities. Um, sorry, it took me a while to get here. Um, there you go. So what were some of the things um, that were said about Issachar, it, either from the blessings of Moses or the blessings of Jacob? What were some of the things you noticed? Strong donkey. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's it. verse 14 of chapter Genesis 49. Issachar is a strong donkey lying between two burdens. Seems like an interesting blessing. And I don't know if he's describing the people they're living next to or whether he's describing the land they're living next to. Um, We'll see Issachar here in a minute. A bit later. I believe that's... Yeah, but... Go ahead, Bob. It seemed like there was an implication of there was laziness or failure to uh, function and do what they're supposed to do, and then, then the result of that was enslavement. Uh, these things are hard to figure out, you know. It's hard to come up with just a very precise, very precise definition from, from the way these are described to us. Yes. Maybe some stubbornness. The donkey is known for their uh, stubbornness. Yes. They are strong, they're stubborn. Yes. And it's interesting when you see these blessings that both Moses and Jacob are giving them, how that maybe there are things like that that are playing into this, that Jacob knows his children. He's seen them grow up. He's seen the way they're acting. In fact, we see that specifically with Simeon and Levi. He's like, you guys destroyed a whole city. He's like, you have really fierce anger. I wonder how much many of those Jacob is actually referring to something he's seen in the children. And maybe, yeah, you're, you know what? You're incredibly strong, but you are stubborn. A stubborn group of people. Anything else you see in Issachar? Issachar's kind of mentioned in Deuteronomy 33 with Moses, but it's kind of in passing. It says, Of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice Zebulun in your going out, and Issachar in your tits. They shall call the peoples to the mountains. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, and they shall partake in the abundance of the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. Which is kind of interesting because Issachar and Zebulun are mostly landlocked. And how they take 
of the abundance of the seas, that's kind of an interesting concept. I'm not sure how you get that and whether that's saying they have some inlet on the Sea of Galilee, um, which the map doesn't directly show that, but somehow they would take part in the abundance of the seas. Um, any other thoughts on Issachar? Yes. So it would go along with Bob's theory of Issachar being a little uh, not as inclined to go out. They were staying in a tent. Yes. So yes, verse 18 she's referring to, Rejoice Zebulun in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. So maybe Issachar is a little more stubborn in there. I'm staying where, I'm land, where I am. That's a good point. Anything else? Verse 24, the land of Asher. And it's interesting, if you look through, if you think through the order of these kids as they were born to Jacob, this is not really following any biological order, any order of who the kids were from. It is interesting that somehow God is choosing these in this order for a reason. And so just be thinking about that. I don't know what that reason is, but God is behind this. To, do, to work his purposes. So, as we think through this, I don't know that we know, um, but let's think about how God might be working his purposes through all of these names um, when we get to the end. So, verse 24, The fifth lot came out for the tribe of Asher according to their families, and their territory included Helkath, Hali, Betan, Ashrath, Alamech, Ahmad and Mishal. It reached to Mount Carmel westward along with the brook to Shihor Libna. It turned toward the sunrise of Beth Dagon and it reached to Zebulun and to the valley of Jephath El. Then northward beyond Beth Emek and Neil, bypassing Kabul, which was on the left, including Ebron, Rehob, Heman, and Canaan, as far as the greater Sidon. And the border turned to Ramah and the fortified city of Tyre, and then the border turned to Hasath and ended in the sea by the region of Akzeb. Also, Amna, Afak, and Rehob were included, 22 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribes of the children of Asher, according to their families, these cities with their villages. What did you see in the blessings and curses from the children of Asher? Yes, and he shall, to finish that, and he shall yield royal dainties. Apparently a fairly well-off group of people, that they would find something that would make them rich. Um, and we see some, as it talks about borders, sometimes it mentions separate cities, which we've mentioned before, or it mentions duplicate cities as it's describing a border between Asher, it doubles up on the cities. 
That's kind of interesting that he basically went through the cities and like, here's your line, here's your boundary line. It's kind of interesting that he gave them more or less distinct boundaries. Um, stay here. It's kind of interesting. You're all brothers. Like, It's interesting he didn't say, just move around, just fill the land. He's like, no, you're going to be here. Maybe we get a glimpse into why, and we'll look at in a little bit. But anything else on Asher? So continuing to the land of Naphtali, verse twenty. Or sorry, verse thirty-two. The sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, for the children of Naphtali, according to their families, and their border began at Teleph. Enclosing the territory from the terebinth tree in Zananim, Adamikneb, and Jabneel, as far as Lycum, and it ended at the Jordan. From Halef, the border extended westward from Aznoth Tabor, and it went from there toward Hukok, and joined Zebulun on the south side and Asher on the west side, and ended at Judah by the Jordan toward the sunrise. And the fortified cities are Zedim, Zor, Hamath, Rakath, Shinareth, Adama, Ramah, Hazor, Kedesh, Edri, Enhazer, Iron, Migdal El, Horem, Bethanath, and Beth Shemesh, 19 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Naphtali according to their families and the cities with their villages. What did you see in the blessings in, from Genesis 49, Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. You know how those two things in this. I mean, a doe is beautiful to, to watch. Right. Beautiful words. Yeah. Brad, you look like you might be about to say something. Okay. I don't have any beautiful words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, me neither, so I was hoping you did. <laughs> And then, <laughs> see, were they, yeah. Uh, what was said in Deuteronomy 33? Take possession of the sea in the south. Yeah. Full of blessing. Satisfied with favor Full of blessing for the Lord and satisfied with favor. And it's kind of interesting. It mentions specifically a lot of fortified cities here. Previously, it was just kind of mentioning, um, say in verse 18, when it's talking about Issachar, the territory went to these cities and the border reached this, 16 cities. Then if you get down, then if you keep going, it talks about kind of these cities. And it specifically mentions in verse 35, the fortified cities are. It seems like this was a more fortified area. And maybe that dealt with God's blessing to them. He gave them an area that was easy, more easily fortified. As we think of the promise to, they are favored. Um, Naphtali satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord. It's kind of interesting. 
Yes. And Tommy said on Wednesday that they would have been first invaded the way they can, so they may have needed more fortifications. Yes, yes, especially as the enemies from the north would follow follow the river as they came down. Nephthali would be right in the crosshairs and would need that. And if that is the case, you see God providing for his people long before they knew they'd need it. Um, God knew what would happen. And he gave them what they needed to be faithful to him. Be faithful, trust in me, and I will give you what you need. It just shows God, again, seeing God's character in that. Any other thoughts in Naphtali, from Naphtali? The land of Dan. We are mercifully through this with my southern accent on these city names. <laughs> Verse 40. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families. And their, the territory of their inheritance was Zorah, Eshtal, Shemesh, Shabalim, Ajalon, Jethla, Elon, Timnah, Ekron, Elkateth, Gibboneth, Balath, Jehud, Beniberak, Gathrimon, Mizarkon, and Rabka, with the region near Japtha. And the border of the children of Dan went beyond these, because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it, and they struck it with the edge of the sword and took possession of it and dwelt in it. And they called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families, these cities with their villages. So what was said about Dan? It's a lion's whelp. A lion's whelp. What else was said about Dan? kind of see that as it talks about Dan is a lion's whelp, he shall leap from Bashan. As it gives the cities, then it kind of gives an asterisk at the end, right? So he gives them these cities, but verse 47, but the border of Dan went beyond these because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I get really confused here. Uh, the, especially with, after what Tommy said about it invading from the north. Look where Dan is. Yeah. They're down to the south. And this invasion that they're talking about here took place before the division of the land and the gifting of the inheritance to the tribe. So what's Dan doing way down there that they can invade that land? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how to deal with that. The city is layish. Right. So Dan ended up in the area of layish. Are you going to talk about this story? Keep going. Okay. Uh, so they couldn't take their land. I think this is in Judges. They didn't take their land. And so they went up 
to, I think it was Village, and they're like, oh, here's a nice city, it's quiet and secure, and they're unsuspecting, and they just went up and wiped them out, and they moved up north. Yes. Kind of like a snake fighting the <laughs> unsuspecting horse. Right. And that's the, this is really the only tribe where we see some sort of a fighting against God, in a sense. Yes, Anne? It kind of um, makes me think of, or it reminds me that I need to be careful about um, assigning chronology when I'm reading, because the Bible is not always chronological and doesn't always announce itself as being, hey, by the way, now I'm going to tell a story that happens later. They just... You know, God just does tell a story that happens later, but he puts it here because of the context when, in fact, this didn't happen before they had divided the land. Like Mindy said, it happened sometime later. Yes, and the story, if you're looking for it, is in Judges 18. The Danites are kind of looking for a city, and it follows similar to what they did as they crossed the Jordan. Uh, the Dan- they send out spies... And uh, verse 18, there was no king in Israel. That's kind of a nutshell for what's happening in Judges. There's no ruler. There's no rules. There's no guidelines. So the, in those days, the tribe of Dan was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. Verse 2, so the children of Dan sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtal, which you might recognize those cities as mentioned in their cities in Joshua 19. Um, and then it says they went up to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah and large there. So they're up in the yeah. I went to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah and lodged there. And so they're sending them north, which is kind of interesting. God had already given them a land, had given them a place, and a few chapters later they're like, you know what? We we need to find a place. I don't know, and maybe it goes to the blessings that they were given. They just seem like a light, we might call them a light cannon. You just don't know what they're going to do, and they're like, you know what, let's just, let's go find more land. I don't know why they didn't like the land God had given them. I don't know if they didn't like being last, because if you remember, by the time it gets to them, every other tribe had been given their land, well, except for the Levites, but they'd give the Levites cities spread throughout, and that's in chapter 21, but Dan was last, and I don't know if it was one of those cases where they're like, we, we're stuck with it, we don't like it, let's go, it's kind of interesting that they are, I don't know, almost fighting against God later. They're even kind of underhanded on their way up, and they pick up, the way they pick up this priest, <laughs> the way. Um, yeah, they don't display a lot of godly characteristics in the whole Right. And it's just that happens in a time frame when there was not a whole lot of godliness. Everyone judges and mentions multiple times. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So you ended up with people being killed right and left. There were judges that weren't good characters. You have Israelites that are trying to spy out their own land to take it. It's just, again, you see what happens when people don't trust God with what he's given them. 
Dan also ends up in some other references to the tribes, like looking kind of bad. Like for example, in um, Revelation seven, when it's talking about the hundred and forty-four thousand from each of these tribes, everyone is sealed. That's uh, seven, starting in verse four. Dan is not mentioned. It has Manasseh and Joseph both to make up the twelve. So like Dan ends up getting left out of. I think that happens in another place or two as well, but they're a little bit seen as the bad guy, (laughs) perhaps. Right. And also, so when it's describing it, it's describing the mountains of Ephraim, but then somehow they end up all the way up up there. And it's just like, I don't know how they got all the way up there, but it shows their lack of faith in God. God had given them a portion, and that did not satisfy them. Any other thoughts on Dan? And then we're my, my confusion on this folks my confusion was in Judges. In those, in those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in for until that day an inheritance had not been allotted to them. See, I, I read this as prior to what we're reading uh, here in Joshua. So <clears throat> Which I guess when they got Dan up there, is that is that also Laish up there? Is it? I can't. I can't yes, that is Laish up there. Okay. All right. So that fits. They would have been up north. That right. There's my confusion there, <clears throat> which fits then from that context. <clears throat> right. And he would have been up. So right. That's why I was saying, what they doing way down there already? Well, they're not yeah. down there already. Right. This property, this real estate that's being taken here is up north. Yes. On the fringe of when we're entering, getting ready to enter and invade. Yes. They and ran ahead. They yeah. ran ahead and did it prior to the distribution. Right. It's kind of interesting with that, right? Um, and one of the problems with chapter 18 of Judges is they're dealing with idolatry. They get a priest and find an idol. And maybe then it's no surprise when you fast forward to the days of the kings, Jeroboam doesn't want him to travel to Jerusalem to worship, so where does he put the golden calf? Dan and Bethel. Laish or Dan. Just not a good story. And there is a lot of confusion on when that happened. So why would they not have been given the land? Right? God had given this to them. But what do we see other places? Brian, do you look like you're about to say something? Okay. What do we see? Yeah, Brad. Well, I don't know about if you're opening this up or you have a specific answer for that. I'm opening it up. First Chronicles (laughs) is, you know, the first nine chapters are all like lists of people. A lot of them are genealogies, you know. <clears throat> Judah gets like three chapters, um, and then as it goes, there's less and less spent. Dan is not even mentioned right. in First Chronicles, um, so yeah, it's kind of sound like seemed like the scourge of uh, Israel's sons. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like they, were, they were last on the list. Everybody else was receiving. And they said, okay, let's go for it. You know. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, you can read that into that, I suppose. Just too anxious and break out and run ahead. You know, and there might even be some worry there that kind of maybe indicates that. So, hard to pin down. Right. Yeah, Phil. Well, it's almost like what we talked about with Manasseh, where they were complaining because I think that was right, because they didn't have enough room. Yeah. And it wasn't because they didn't have enough room, it's because they hadn't driven the Canaanites out. And you get the same impression that Dan, it's like they didn't want that land, they didn't want to go to the effort of driving the people out. And so they took their took it into their own hands rather than what God had instructed them and they chose their own land. Right. Yes. Yeah, it says it in so Judges one, Verse 27 starts with places not conquered, the mighty title. Yes. And then verse 34 says the Amorites forced the sons of Dan into the hill country, so they did not allow them to come down into the valley. So, they just, they 22, you see the eastern tribes return to their land. And then you see verse 23, Joshua is kind of giving the farewell address. And then, like, it kind of ends with the land had rest. They all got their land divided. And so, again, it's one of these things, if, you aren't re- if you're reading it and thinking chronologically, you then get to Judges. And like, wait a sec- wait a second, what happens? Because you get to Judges one, and it immediately starts talking. Well, these people did not drive out the land. Like, like she mentioned, verse twenty-seven, Manasseh did not drive out the land of Judges one. Manasseh did not drive out the land. Ephraim didn't drive out the land. Zebulun didn't drive out the land. Asher did not drive out the land. Naphtali did not drive out the land. The Amorites drove Dan out. It's just a continuation of this is what happens when you don't continue keeping your faith in God. Yes. Joshua 20 was like, from God's standpoint, you had the land, there was peace, you just needed to keep it and keep faith in God. But the people start looking at, well, they have iron chariots, or they have this, or they're in the mountains, or we want our own land. Like Dan. And then they they start going their own way, and we see where that leaves them. It's kind of sad, right? You start through Joshua and you see the faith as the people have the faith to walk around the city seven days with nothing happening and suddenly the walls fall down because they obeyed God. And then we see they can't take AI when they go in themselves because of sin. And so God gives them how to take AI and they take it and they keep taking king after king after king with God's instructions. And then when God gives them the land, they start, well, you know what, this is what I prefer to do. Or, you know what, oh man, they're strong. Isn't that so much like human nature? We're in situations where we see God pull us out of or get us through. And then we get to the next hurdle and it's like, oh, where is he? People don't change. Thankfully, God doesn't either. And God wants his people to just have faith in him. And he calls us to do the same. 
And it's kind of interesting at the end of the chapter, Joshua finally gets his sanction. Joshua had been given land because he had faith when they originally went out. Back in Numbers 13. Um, Numbers 13 and 14. Because of what Joshua and Caleb did, Joshua and Caleb got land. So verse 49 When they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him what he asked for, Timnah and Sirah in the valleys of Ephraim, and he built a city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritances which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children, divided as an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, so they made an end of dividing the country. So again, if you're just reading Joshua, you're like, okay, it's done. They have the land, but that's not entirely the case. They still have work to do. So it's kind of an end. Interesting, Joshua, the leader, gets his land at the end. Okay, you've stayed faithful, you've kept the promises, and so they gave him the land they asked for. He asked for, and he he asked for it in the mountains of Ephraim, which is kind of interesting, because the mountains of Ephraim are the ones that's mentioned in chapter 17, that Manasseh was nervous about, in verse 15, so Joshua said to them, if you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined to you. So kind of in that same area, Joshua gets land in this. Why is he able to get land, but Ephraim isn't? Well, I think it shows one of them had faith in the Lord, and the other had a lack of faith. Any other thoughts on chapter 19? It is, it's really easy to get lost in the names. So what's the big purpose behind this? What's the big purpose behind the last four chapters of seeing all the places and all the names? I think um, it is an overabundance, even um, so redundant, but it really it boils down to God said he was going to give them the land and here's ten chapters I'm like oh you think God keeps his promises well he gave this guy this land and let me list you all the cities boom 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 and so it's almost like a heaping overwhelming amount to where a whole forest of things that shows you God kept his promise on bringing the people into the land you know, there was time in probably all of our lives when we would get into reading these kind of things and we'd, we'd want to you know, scan, you know, <laughs> move through it real fast. And now, as we grow and mature and we start seeing the richness of the text here because we, we see it uh, from, from, the wis- from the wisdom of God and his, and his faithfulness to his people, endear us to him uh, in his in his faithfulness to us uh, at all costs. Right. He keeps his promises. 
All right, especially when you get to Judges 1, and it's, but the people didn't do this, and the people didn't do this. What's consistent? God did. And that's throughout Joshua, and as Joshua has led the people, we see towards the end, Joshua is, talks to the people, he's like, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the impact he had on Israel. Um, Israel stayed faithful throughout the days of Joshua and throughout the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Those leaders had a large impact on the people. And it's amazing because how were they able to do that? They stayed faithful to God. And we saw that's what God had told them in Joshua 1. As God's talking to Joshua after Moses has died. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over the Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread, I have given you, as I said to Moses. And he goes through the description. And he tells him, be strong and courageous. For this people you shall divide the inheritance to the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God remembered his promises. Even after 40 years of people just being belligerent and bad and just not wanting to obey and seeing a lack of faith, they get to things in the wilderness and it's like, where's our food? Where's our water? And God provided them food in a sandy, dark, dirty ground for years until they got to the land and they were able to get to the land and they didn't need the manna anymore because the land provided for them. The land that was flowing with milk and honey. They're finally able to enjoy it. They're in houses they didn't build. They're in fields they didn't plant. And what do they start doing? Confident in themselves. I need to go find my own land. Instead of being confident in the God that gave it to them. So then, in the next few chapters, they're going to deal with the Levites. They're going to let the eastern tribes return. And then Joshua, similar to Moses, is going to give basically their history, remind the people of how they got here, and then encourage them to follow God. That'll be the next few classes. So then we get to this interesting concept, the cities of refuge in chapter 20. And this is something... God had set in place I had not realized this before in looking through it this was something God had set in place when back in Deuteronomy when they took Sihon and Og and they captured kind of the eastern side God immediately set up three cities of refuge in in Deuteronomy chapter 4 um, but yeah, let's go on and read verses 1 through 9. We'll just read it at once. Can someone volunteer to read that? Brother. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there to find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. 
If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive, because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee and the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. East of the Jordan, on the other side from Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness, on the plateau of the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, to in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of these Israelite, any of the Israelites, or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally, could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. Okay, so they're actually marked on our map. So, Golan, Ramoth, Gilead, Bezer, Hebron, Shechem, and Kedesh. And so these three had already been selected in um, Deuteronomy 4. When they took Sihon and Og, God immediately said, set up these cities. Um, and this, this conversation will probably last into... Wednesday, so we'll just kind of give an overview now. But what's the general concept behind these cities of refuge? Sanctuary. A sanctuary. <clears throat> Some of these, just the intricacies of these rules are really interesting. Um, if you murdered someone purposely, what would you have the tendency to do? That's an accident. You're going to run to the city of refuge, right? It's interesting that God sets up these laws. Basically, here's how you're going to think through this process. Here's how you're going to work through this. It's interesting how much the elders of the city and the congregation had to play in this. In some ways, this was a self-policing Society, the congregation needed to listen. And he mentions a couple things in here. He mentions something about, maybe it's in, not here, maybe it's in Deuteronomy 35. Sorry, let me find it in my notes here. He mentions something that's kind of interesting. There you go. This is in. Number, num, sorry, Numbers 35, not Deuteronomy 35. So other near, in the uh, Winham's commentary, other ancient Near Eastern laws permitted composition. That is a payment of ransom in place of the death penalty. And in Numbers, God specifically says, if someone has murdered someone, you shall not ransom them. If they murdered them purposely. It's kind of interesting. So other laws would have allowed it. But God says, killing is serious. And we see that all the way in Exodus. As he's giving them the Ten Commandments, one of them being, do not murder. And then he gives them in Exodus 21, a few chapters later, he gives them some instructions on violence. Um, see that's, so Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, one of them being, do not murder. And then Exodus... 
Exodus 21, verse 12 through 26, describes, here's the laws concerning violence. But God also realizes that accidents happen. <laughs> like, God is serious. Do not kill. Do not, mur- do not murder. Do not murder. But he also realizes, you know what? Someone that does it accidentally... He understands. And it's interesting. The life of that person would change because you can't live in your own city. You have to flee. But God says, if you get there and you are truly innocent of intent, you can live. It's kind of interesting. What has to happen in order to leave? The death of a high priest. Does that sound familiar? In order to be free... The death of a high priest provides freedom. And it's just interesting. So we'll dig into this further on Wednesday. I didn't want to start digging in and then you, you get in the middle of it and you're like, okay, let's break. But the big picture, God hates when blood is shed. And he even tells them a couple times in Numbers 35. Numbers 35 and verse 33 through 34. And you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit, inhabit in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. It's just kind of interesting. Um, and it, it, again, in Winham's commentary, he mentions, It is paradoxical that at the right place, blood is the most effective purifier, the only means of atonement between God and man, but in the wrong context, it has precisely the opposite effect. The blood pollutes the land. And so God is planning ahead, understanding accidents are going to happen. I would not have wanted to work next to one of these people based on the amount of times an axe flies off or something when they're cutting wood. Like, 50 feet clearance. Is what, don't, get, don't get near them. But God understood. And God set in action, laws to protect innocent people. There, but was, there was urgency <laughs> in, in this arrangement because uh, 3519 says the blood avenger himself shall put the murderer to death. He shall put him to death when he meets him. So, you know, if he witnessed it or heard of it, he could, he could go strike him down. It was a race. It was a race. So, <laughs> and, yes. run to a city of refuge. Yes. The whole system provides both justice and mercy. Yes, and in chapter 20, you even see, or not 20, in, sorry, in Numbers 35, you even see he's like, make sure there are roads. Like, if this happens, you need to be able to get there quickly because it is a timing matter. If the person's faster than you, like, God's like, he can kill you. Also, if you get out of the city, he can kill you before the high priest has died. So again, God's establishing a system of both justice and mercy for the accidental killing. So we'll study Joshua. Joshua 20 on Wednesday and then if we have time we'll talk about the concept of God ordering his people to kill nations. Thank you for your comments.